0: Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, welcome back to another week of Killer Cocktails Podcast. This is Drea. And this is Jackie. And this week we are drinking the mudslide. You panicked for a <laughs> moment.
1: Your eyes started everywhere. I'll like, get the answer if I look around.
0: Fuck, fuck, fuck. I was like um, a kid who got called on <laughs> who like wasn't paying attention. I was like, what week is this? Um, we've had one cocktail. Jackie, you don't know this, but I doubled the recipe for both of our cocktails. <laughs> what the fuck? Because I needed to double it for the This picture. is a home game for you. <laughs> I am an away team. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to double Why? it for a picture, and then yours was doubled, so I was like, "I might as well double mine." And then I was
1: like, "To make more of it,
0: yeah, because otherwise it would be it would it would have been right here on the glass." Oh my god! So I I doubled it. Actually, I didn't double it. It said one parts Kahlua, one parts Smirnoff vodka. Okay, not it so didn't you, say didn't, but you didn't, yeah. It said parts in a court of law.
1: I don't know. I'll know soon. <laughs> <laughs> I have jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited.
0: Jackie is super stoked for jury duty. Mm-hmm. Here in Oregon, you have to be on call for two weeks.
1: You have to go to orientation, so 100% you at least get to be in the court building for a day, and then you're on call for two weeks. The last time, the closest I got, I was, because I truly believe this is your civic duty, and I pay attention, I'm a smart person, I'd be a great juror, and I got, I was almost the alternate juror and then what happened um i had to tell them that my uncle was the chief of police and they didn't like that uh it was in a different town yeah i think part of what the case relied on was like do you believe the officer's word over this other person's Mm -hmm. and while i 100 like i'm ready to listen to all the stuff i don't have innate bias either way uh they didn't care for that answer so yeah away i went they have a particular way of picking the jury definitely from both sides for sure yeah they so basically they they talked to a million people they just loaded the box like they had the jury box and now they're just look like asking people to fill the last spot which is the alternator and like by the time they got to me they just said you've heard all the questions we've asked everybody literally a hundred times which one of those questions do you think we'd have a concern of with you i said well you you kept asking people if they knew police officers and my uncle was the chief of police and they went Bye. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. So I like self-did it, but at the same time, like I'm honest. So Yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I knew that
1: was going to get me kicked off and I was
0: I still had to say it.
1: Do you think... Wait, have you ever
0: served on a jury? No. Okay. Um, it's so funny listening to you get so jazzed about this because our other friend, Caroline, was <laughs> yeah. up for jury duty and we have another friend, Phil, who is on... Gran- He's supposed to be on grand jury duty, but keeps pushing it off. He's like... His- grand jury's great. Stacey was on grand jury. Really? See, I don't know. Okay, so, but all those All those people I just said, they're like, I had to be on the wait list for two weeks and I had to call every day. I'm so excited. And you were like, I get to be on the
1: wait list for two weeks and I get to call every day. It's cool with work. It's not like it's an issue to my life. Yeah. I don't find it inconvenient. You truly, people who, you know, I want, if I'm ever on trial, I want a sensible jury that has jobs and lives lives and has all this, you know a jury of your peers a jury of my peers yeah. and that's a mix you know because juries are are often like there's like retired people can do it like mm-hmm. it just works with their schedule and that's fine um but i i just i don't i don't like everyone shucking it off mm-hmm.
0: i once applied for um an online jury position so like you're what not is that it's like a <clears throat> it's like a a oh, test run of jury members, oh, essentially. so it's like so, what a
1: defense team would run or a exactly, prosecution team. Exactly, yeah. Ooh, and you, depending,
0: depending on, like, which company you go for, you could get paid quite a bit, depending on what, and then I was so jazzed about it, and I never heard back from any of them. Oh, but yeah, you have to be in certain County, so, like, for sure. we're here in this county, obviously yeah. we're probably not getting the higher up. Um, I wonder, this is a little side tangent, I wonder if we have open courtrooms and we can go in and, like,
1: just sit sometimes. Okay, and and watch. so <laughs> my dream did not come to realization. I really want to go to a taping of Judge Judy. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Judy? Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll settle for Judge Million. Like, yeah. I'll go to a people's court. That's fine. But Judge, G- like, even if I was in the right yeah. and I was suing somebody, I would be terrified of being in her courtroom. Yeah. Because the moment, the moment I, because I say stupid things all the time. I'm, I, I consider myself a smart person, but I say stupid shit left and right. Yeah. Ooh, she would go at. She would (laughs) correct me on my dumbness. Yeah. (laughs) She serves a hat. Yeah. Yeah. Don't pee on her leg and tell her it's raining. Is she still? (laughs) Is she still on TV? I think so. She is currently the highest paid woman in television. How about for one of our milestones? (gasps) we go down we go okay everyone start tell your friends we got to get hit this milestone quick because who knows when she's gonna retire yeah
0: yeah i don't know what the milestone is she's got a bunch of kids
1: and i remember thinking like what if i fell in love with her son and that was my mother-in-law oh my god (laughs) (laughs) what a crazy mother-in-law in In like a wonderful because she's a sweet lady yeah but she's tough as nails
0: you are ridiculous (laughs) okay judge judy bring all your sons
1: I'm pretty sure they're all, like, married <laughs> off and, and gone now. But I remember at one time being, like, just, like, I think we were always in a conversation of, like, future mother-in-laws, and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know why my mind went there, but I went, Judge Judy would be a very, because I would love her to be my mother-in-law and be afraid of her. Yeah, yeah. I think she'd love you. I think you, she'd give you a hard time. Want, but like, a, well, like, that's a powerful lady mm-hmm. who has a great, fa- like, all the parts are there, but she's also intimidating. <laughs> i would like really worry over what to get her for christmas yeah oh do you give her a nice shindlin is she jewish she might be jewish for hanukkah there you go i don't know i mean she's rich so nothing i'm gonna get her is something she couldn't get herself so it'd have to be really thoughtful sentimental definitely yeah, yeah. anyway
0: <laughs> let's help jackie <laughs> live out her dreams before. judge judy be my mother-in-law <laughs> oh no (laughs) um okay so we are drinking the mudslides and they
1: are boozy so let me give the history of this because it'll play into our conversation about how they taste okay cool so there is a i should i don't know the state i'm gonna guess florida but i don't know the rum point club okay there's a club restaurant it's like a they have a there's a bar and there's a restaurant that aren't connected to each other, but they're in the same general vicinity. <laughs> okay, so at the Rum Point Club, uh, so this is off their website, the story of the mudslide. So in the 1970s, some guests came to the bar and they asked the bartender to make them a white Russian. Mm. And the bartender said, what's in it? It's obviously not a great bartender. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they go, it's simple. It's vodka, Kahlua, and cream. Uh-huh. If you've ever had a white Russian, white Russians are delicious, of Big Lebowski fame. Uh, the bartender had vodka and he had Kahlua, but he didn't have any cream. So he goes, uh, I've got Bailey's Irish cream, would that work? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And thus, the Mudslide was born. Ah. So the name of the bar, it's the the Wreck Bar at Rum Point Club. Got it. That's who's claiming credit here. There's been a bunch of different variations. Um, at one point, they said the original... Uh, had vanilla haagen-dazs ice cream in it mm-hmm. um so there's a couple different like yeah iterations that you can have it on the rocks you can have it blended we had this conversation earlier i i think a mudslide has to be milkshakey and has to be I, blended. i'm gonna agree with you we just had it on the
0: rocks and i kind of i'm really excited to have it blended
1: i really like white russians mm-hmm. this is like a booze-tastic white russian on mm-hmm. the rocks yeah like so boozy, where would, like if given my druthers, I would probably just have a White Russian, Mm-hmm. because um, this. Ta- so I'm curious to see when you add the blendedness to it, if the booziness cut cuts down with like down more ice. ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. no, definitely.
0: Um These are tasty. I mean, the very first sip is very boozy, and once the ice starts melting, it kind of waters it down. And this was something that
1: <clears throat> that this bar had said was that they'll. When they put the straw in, they'll fill the straw with Kahlua. So literally, your first sip is like a shot of Kahlua, and then some mudslide. Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. And then they have the, like the regular amount of Kahlua in there, so they have like Kahlua in there, and then they put yeah they another make shot. it,
1: and then they just like you Damn. Get little... and it's not a whole shot. Like think of a straw; it's not yeah. a whole shot, but yeah. like a little enough to be like. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. um, and then, so I got this
0: recipe from Kahlua's website actually. So. Clue is a cool company
1: that is growing on me. Really? Yeah. Like their marketing scheme and everything. I don't know, just all of it. I have really fond memories of being in Mexico with my mom, (laughs) my sister, and my gram. And there was this restaurant that we'd love to go to that would always give like free Clue and creams at the end as like a little like nightcap after your meal. And it was just such a fun little trip. Oh. We're way off topic. This is. I wasn't expecting the (laughs) tangents that have come from today. I knew that we were drinking straight-up milkshakes. <laughs> uh, I went cross-country skiing this morning, mm. and I was like, this is going to pay for my milkshake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my milkshake brings me the to the
1: So wait, we got through the
0: history. Now it's time for you to tell me your story. And we talked about the taste. So we made these blended versions of the mudslide. They give us brain freezes. I, You know,
1: I don't like what I'm about to say,
0: but... I recommend you drink them on the rocks. Thank you. But even then, it's boozy. They're both boozy. I doubled the recipe for both of these.
1: <laughs> but you didn't double it. You doubled the volume. You didn't double the... Yeah. We have a hard time with math. I, but I, like,
0: I doubled it. So, you know how it was like one part? I put two parts of everything. So you made us twice as big a drink. Yeah. Yeah. But I did it mean, the I first guess, time, I too. I mean, I guess that is doubling. Yeah. So, Jackie, you did the recipe, so I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna tell you about Krista Gale Pike. Alright. Uh so Krista was born prematurely on March 10th, 1976.
1: Premium in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not like premies didn't live the way that premies live now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She fought. She She's fought a for it. Fada. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Krista grew up and she became a wild child she couldn't be tamed so she went to live with her grandmother who unfortunately where,
1: like do we know where in the u.s mm. is this is this the u.s
0: I don't it is the u.s i'm everything that happens later is in tennessee so i want to say tennessee Maybe. area sure. yeah so she's wild she can't be tamed by her mom so um she goes to live with her grandmother yeah. who unfortunately is an alcoholic and uh was very verbally abusive mm. so when chris is Krista's grandmother dies. Uh, she begins living with her mother, and um, she'll like bounce between her mother's house and her father's house because they're divorced. So at this point, Krista is in her teens and she still doesn't get along with her mother, and her mother's a licensed nurse. And um, their house is filthy. There's essentially no rules. And in a last-ditch last, last ditch effort to kind of bond with their daughter, they start smoking weed together. Mm. Um, to appease Krista, her mom allows her to have a live-in boyfriend when she's 14. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Um, but Krista is still having issues with her family. And when her mother mother's boyfriend starts beating her with a belt, Krista grabs a butcher knife to defend herself before calling the cops. Whoa. Yeah. So it's just a very chaotic... Like atmosphere for her to be living in. Um, so Krista is also living on and off again from her dad's house, and uh, she gets What's kicked- that house like. Um, I think that one's a little less bit-
1: chaotic, or of the same. I want to say
0: it's more structured, but I don't really have anything to go okay. off of. But she gets kicked out one of the times because she's disobedient, she's dishonest, and she's manipulative. So there's
1: consequences of that house. Yeah, uh,
0: but then she's allowed. She's allowed back, um, but then she's kicked out again because they start suspecting that she is sexually abusing her dad's two-year-old daughter from a second uh, marriage. Mm.
1: Yeah. And she's she's a teenager at the yeah. time.
0: And there is later on. Which is,
1: like, really sad because that's probably happening to her. In some...
0: Exactly, yeah. There is later on um, allegations that she was sexually and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, physically abused. Um... Kids, kids learn that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Krista drops out of high school around the ninth grade. Uh, she bounces around for a while before joining the Job Corps in Knoxville, Tennessee, oh. to study computer programming. So I didn't know this, but uh, Job Corps was a government program aimed at helping low income in- yeah. low income youth by offering vocational training and career skills.
1: I feel like Job Corps is still a thing. Like I, I want to say that there was a office in downtown San Jose when I lived there. Okay. This one at least
0: is now closed. I okay. thought that meant that as a whole, but maybe there's a different entity that I don't, does similar yeah. things. I mean, there's yeah. there's job stuff,
1: but I, but, I feel like <clears throat> Job Corps is still a thing.
0: Okay. Um, okay. So back to the story. Krista is now 18 and is living in the dormitories on campus for the Job Corps. Okay. And she falls for a young man named uh, Tadrell Ship, and he's 17 years old, and he also lives on campus. So they start dating... And they're they're in love, and they're young, and they start to dabble in the occult and devil worship.
1: The occult and devil worship, man. Yeah, um, which is interesting in Tennessee. I don't know. I feel like, is that more prevalent in, like, non-super liberal areas? Maybe, and it's also, like, what, it's, like,
0: almost, an, it's, like, mid-90s right now, too. Okay. When we're talking about this story. So, I don't know if that was just, like... The time of everything. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't know if that's just something you stumble upon or someone like, you know, like
1: someone who you think is cool, I would think. Kind of introduces introduces you to to it. Okay. Got it. Maybe you guys work together at the Hollywood video or maybe, you know, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) The Hollywood
0: video. Okay. So now we're going to get into the crime. So. Everything is going well until Krista starts to believe one of their other classmates, Colleen Slummer, who's 19 years old. Slummer? Mm-hmm. Slummer. Yeah. Is trying to steal her boyfriend. So mm. Krista and Colleen supposedly are verbally fighting at this point. Krista even claims that she woke up one night to Colleen standing over her bed, threatening her with a box cutter. Krista also claims that Colleen knew that she only had one strike left before she was kicked out of school, so Colleen was trying to provoke her into a fight. Whoa. So, on January 11th, 1995, Krista told an acquaintance, Kim Ilauilau, that she was planning on killing Colleen because she, quote-unquote, just felt mean that day, end quote. So, the next day, on January 12th, Krista invites Colleen to smoke weed with her, Shadella Peterson, who's eighteen, these and, are
1: great names,
0: <laughs> and Tidrell as a peace offering. Okay, so Colleen agrees, and they all sign out of the dorms at eight p.m. and head out to an abandoned steam mill that is close by on the on the University of Tennessee campus. But Colleen didn't know that Krista was bringing a box cutter and a small meat cleaver with her.
1: Ugh, of all the tools, yeah. <clears throat> i don't like either of those
0: what a small meat cleaver
1: i should have looked that up that's the remember when we were, had to talk about the the butcher the cleaver yeah that's the kind of like squarish rectangle one uh that like ah like clown posse that yeah silhouette that's a cleaver uh, okay so it's for like chopping through bone okay so a box cutter yeah and a bone chopper meow i don't like it okay
0: So, once they were far enough away, Krista starts to accuse Colleen of trying to sleep with her boyfriend again. So, Colleen starts to deny it, but Krista becomes furious and grabs Colleen's face and slams it into her knee. Um, This is where it gets pretty graphic. Uh, Krista then pulls out the meat cleaver and slices Colleen across the stomach. Then Tardrell comes over and slashes her across the chest. Krista does most of the torturing until she thinks she hears someone coming and then she stops and she goes to investigate the noise. Mm-hmm. The other two make sure Colleen stays on the ground in the meantime. This is crazy. Krista comes back and they begin torturing Colleen for another 30 minutes to an hour. They cut her throat repeatedly and they held her down and they carved a pentagram into her chest. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Um, then Krista takes a large piece of rock and bashes it into Colleen's head, which cracks her skull open. Colleen takes a piece of skull, and they leave Colleen in the dirt. And it's like a abandoned building? Mm-hmm. They're, like, outside of it. Okay. They're, like, in the dirt area. <clears throat> Colleen, uh, Shadella and Tardell all check back into the dorms at ten fifteen p.m. Later that night, Colleen goes to her friend Kim's room, the one that she was talking to earlier, was mm-hmm. like, I just feel mean today. Um, and she starts to tell her everything about what they had done in like great detail. She even shows Kim like the piece of Colleen's skull and what? she, she's like dancing around, she's singing, she's smiling. Like she's when she's retelling the story yeah. Um the next day, not remorseful. No, not at all. Uh, the next day, Krista told the story <clears throat> again to another student and she pointed to the brown spots on her shoes and said, that ain't mud on my shoes. That's blood.
1: I have a tattletale that shit. <laughs>
0: um, and so mud is kind of my tie-in for the mud slides.
1: How the fuck do you find these stories? <laughs> I feel like you have a list of them, and then you... I don't know how you do it. Interesting.
0: <laughs> um Yes. Um, it's
1: always like little asides. It's like you know you like this story, and then you remember detail, and you tie it in.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, around 8 a.m. on January 13th, so the next day, Knoxville Police and the University of Tennessee Police were called to the campus because an employee had found Colleen's body. However, he had first assumed the remains were just those of a large animal because Colleen's body was so badly beaten. Whoa! Um, So, little... That's...
1: uh, How long has she... She's only been there for a day. To think that a human body is an animal Mm -hmm. think about that i mean
0: you hear the stories where i i thought it was a mannequin because you know you see the whole body but it's kind of discolored like i kind of get that but to think that it was an animal's remains because it was so badly has to literally
1: just be bones and flesh
0: mm uh and i'll give a an aside to my side Be careful if you're Googling this story. Oh, you told me you came across pictures. I came across the uh, crime scene photos, so just be careful with your Google searches with this story. They are very graphic. So, later on during the trial, the medical examiner would tell everybody how, like, during the process of examining the body, uh, the protocol is to label all major, like, wounds, stab wounds, slashes. Mm -hmm. Force trauma, uh, with a letter. So A through Z, um, uh, she would then run out of the letters. That's crazy because there were so many wounds on Colleen's body. So she would have to go to double letters and eventually she just stopped labeling all the f- like forced trauma. Which now explains
1: like why the guy thought it was just an animal. Yes. If that's Ex- how.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting perspective to how badly, they tortured Colleen.
1: Ugh. This is a group, right? This is this like is two gals and a guy?
0: Yeah, it's essentially Krista, it's uh, Shadella, which is one of their friends, and then the boyfriend
1: of Krista. Um, okay, so you've got Krista, mm-hmm. who thinks that this girl's Mackinac on her dude. Mm-hmm. You have the dude. Then you've got this rando third wheel, mm-hmm. who goes along and murders someone,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of, like... That's some ride or die friend, mm-hmm. or someone else who's twisted. Who found? Yeah, like that's kind of strange, don't you think? To kind of give
0: you an idea, the Job Corps um, vocational college they they were kind of known. They're like was oh, it their student base was essentially people who dropouts uh, dropouts and they had like kind of criminal okay. uh, backgrounds and they had lived in dorms on campus and they were kind of known to be getting into these kind of okay not this extent but they mm-hmm. were getting into kind of crime and stuff troubled youth troubled youth um <clears throat> so back to the story. So it doesn't take long for police to connect Krista with the death of Colleen. One reason being she had left her jacket. She kept blabbing. <laughs> that too. Yes. She uh, had left her jacket in a counselor's office. And when the counselor returned and saw it, saw it, uh, he had heard that Krista had a connection with the murder. And so he turned in the jacket. And when they got the jacket, oh. they found the piece of the skull in her pocket. Because she had been walk- going around campus showing everybody.
1: That is crazy
0: Mm -hmm. um but before all that happened krista confessed to the murder and consented to a search of her dorm uh, where they found her blood-soaked jeans she then took them to the trash can where she had dumped colleen's id and gloves next she took them to the actual crime scene and retraced the entire attack giving the police every single detail of the murder which which was transcribed
1: into 46 pages Is she just, like, obviously there's no lawyer there, so she's, like, waved her Miranda Rights and Mm -hmm. she's just, like, talking. Do you think she's in this weird state where she's, like, proud of it? I think, oh, definitely.
0: She was going around just telling everyone she could about the murder. She was telling Kim. She was telling other students. She was showing the piece of skull. Yeah. I think later on they kind of talk about, um, she's, like, a, um disorder they'll talk about later. Okay. Um but she felt that it was kind of like a reward, like uh showing everybody was giving her kind of like a reward for killing Colleen. Hmm. yeah. Um so, uh police also searched Tardrell's room where they found a, a satanic bible and an altar.
1: They're into it. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just playing mm-hmm. pretends. Yeah.
0: Um, so now we're getting into the trial. So during the trial, a psychiatrist examined Krista and found her to be an extremely bright young woman. They found her to be sane in legal terms, but acknowledged that she had an undiagnosed by, bi- uh, by bi- borderline personality disorder okay. and she was marijuana dependent and abused, uh, inhalants. So kind of of the time to inhalants be.
1: Inhalants like, uh, like duster cans.
0: I'm not sure. They didn't really go into it, but I kind of feel like. I
1: think of inhalants as. I don't think they have duster cans at the time, but like uh, whipped cream cans. Mm -hmm. I remember going through Dare and being like, people do what? Yeah. (laughs) Or the like whippets and stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So the trial happens and on March 22nd of 1996, after only a few hours of deliberation, Krista was found guilty of murder and conspiracy to commit murder. On March 30th, 1996. How old is she through all of that? She's like 20 now. Wow. Yeah. She's super young. On March 30th, 1996, Krista was sentenced to death by electrocution for the murder charge and 25 years in prison for the conspiracy charge. Elect- electrocution. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, Krista is the youngest woman to be sentenced to death in the United States after the Supreme Court ruling of Furman v. Uh, Georgia. So, I looked this up. It was kind of like a Supreme Court hearing that okay. s- stated that unless of a uniform policy of determining who's eligible for capital punishment exists... The death penalty will be regarded as cruel and unusual punishment. So Hmm. that was stated. And then after that, she was condemned to death. Okay. So she gets that punishment. Uh, Tordell received a life sentence with the possibility of parole. Uh, Shaldella, who had turned informant, received probation for pleading guilty to being an accessory. Yeah. So now we're going into the appeals. So obviously Krista has been going through her appeals throughout the years. This was in the 90s. She was like... 20s early early 20s okay and uh in december of 2008 krista's request for a new trial was turned down and she was returned to death row this denied request is believed to be the final allowed under the appeals procedures in the state of Tennessee. She's hit the Mm mess and i just checked today and i still didn't uh find any execution date kind of set in stone but of the 60 people on death row in tennessee she's the only woman yeah still um this is kind of a side um so, Colleen's family has been requesting that fragment of skull
1: oh. because they
0: want to cremate it and kind of put her their daughter to rest. Um, but because the appeals process is going on, it's, it's still evidence. So, they haven't been able to get that. But I want to say because of the last quote-unquote appeal, hopefully yeah. they, they'll be able to oh. put that to rest. Um, a little bit more on Octavio. August- August two thousand twenty-four, two thousand one, Krista attacked and attempted to strangle fellow inmate Patricia Jones with a st- with a shoestring and nearly succeeded in choking her to death. Dude. The motive was over a common love interest with another Greenville killer. Mm-hmm. She was convicted of attempted first degree murder on August twelfth, two thousand four. Dude, so she's got rage problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I want one little bit more of this little story um she attempted to break out of prison yeah she did on march and in, in march of 2012 you know it what was, i'm gonna
1: say i don't think she's charming enough to break out of prison
0: well she almost was
1: but she didn't do it that's true i feel like that's the like <laughs> if you have to like the intangibles like yeah i think charming is how you break out it's of prison not the little hacksaw the thing charming is part of getting all that stuff in line okay i think charming is the, ma- is the is the thing. This is the magic potion. Uh, So, in March of 2012,
0: it was revealed that Krista had made escape plans involving corrections officer Justin Heflin Mm -hmm. and a New Jersey man named Donald uh, Kuhut. The attempted prison break was... So, a prison pen pal Uh and a guard. Uh So, the prison break was stopped by a joint investigation involving the Tennessee Department of Corrections and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation and the New Jersey State Police. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah so thwarted that is krista pike for you my goodness yeah so young so involved in the life she was at at that time that ain't mud on my shoes oh god
1: yeah yuck all right well we're gonna take a quick break i'm gonna tell you about nancy Keesian. she was born in 1964 in michigan She dropped out of the Parsons School of Design after two years. She'd worked uh, as the floor manager at the Caliente Cab Company. She worked at a Mexican restaurant on Waverly Place in New York. Um, And she worked at the El Rio Grande. She has, like, a bunch of, like, kind of restaurant experience.
0: We don't know any, like, earlier life. Not
1: really. Not that I could find. Okay. Um, She'd also been the general manager of Doc's Restaurant on Broadway in Manhattan. So, like running restaurants in new york city mm-hmm. like she's not just some schlub uh she meets robert kissel and marries him at the east river yacht club in new york city uh in 1989. they had three children and then they moved to hong kong okay in 1997. so they lived at the hong kong parkway and I, i couldn't find this later at one point i read that their rent was 20 grand a month what and i feel like that's wrong but like in yen or in like oh i think in like u.s dollars holy
0: balls and she is uh like a kind of a manager of restaurants did she move there for that
1: no so robert was vice president uh of goldman sachs asian special situations group okay so she marries this dude robert and he's loaded he's got crazy he's got a crazy job okay so she's not really doing anything So anymore. she's taking moves- like a
0: backseat as a Correct. mom okay.
1: yeah so mm-hmm. he gets hired so goldman is why he moves over to hong kong but then he gets hired on by merrill lynch in 2000 in the year 2000 um and he's the head of its distressed assets business in asia wow um he's doing all right so for her to stay busy she helps out with the hong kong international school okay um she ends up being vice president of like the Parent teachers board. Mm-hmm. Um, so at some point, so they've got these three kids. They're living in Hong Kong. They're living loaded, loaded lives. She visits the United States in the middle of two thousand three. She meets this guy, Michael Del Piore. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, like the electrical repairman that they've hired to rewire their house in Vermont. So not only they're living in this like baller status ocean view place in Hong Kong. They've got a house in Vermont, and I feel like there's other properties, too. Mm -hmm. So they're loaded. So she meets this electrical repairman while she's back home, and at some point, a relationship kind of develops between the two of them. She gives him this really expensive gold watch. Um, So I I don't know, like, when the affair really starts, but she meets him in the middle of 2003, and that's kind of when it all kind of kicks off. So uh, later, it'll be suggested that Del Piore, so the electrical repair guy... That he might have aided and abetted, he might have kind of encouraged her in this, but that like, they have a relationship going and now she's like, not hot to trot on her husband and Hong Kong family. So, uh, police have like phone records and stuff. She had made 52 calls to him in September. Okay. And 106 calls in October. Okay. Um, so her husband, Robert, is suspicious that she's having an affair. And he hires a New York private detective named Frank Shea. Okay. Um, And he starts spying on her. And Mm. they put spyware into her laptop. And uh, so it's recorded that on, and these dates will come into play. It's recorded on August 28th, 2003. Mm -hmm. So she met him in the beginning of the year. She called him a bunch in September and October. So this is a little bit before that. Um, On October 28th, she made an internet search for sleeping pills. Uh Uh-oh. And, quote overdose medication causing heart attack <gasps> end quote and quote drug overdose end quote so the prosecution later said that on october 23rd she made it so that's in august 28th search and then on october 23rd she made a search for rohypnol date rape drug oh no uh, and robert so he sees all this so he's got like this monitoring on her computer he sees this these searches and he confides in a colleague, David No, and he goes, "My life might be in danger.
0: Get out of that situation. What are you doing?
1: No. So then psychiat- uh, psychiatric expert, I guess <clears throat> doctor Dr. Desmond Fung, he testifies in court later um, that she had visited him on august twenty ninth so on august twenty eighth she makes these searches. And then the very next day, she's at his office. Oh, no. And then October 23rd, she makes searches. And October 30th, she's in his office. Mm-hmm. Um, and she obtained prescriptions for tranquilizers. Oh, no. So she's searching all the stuff, meets a doctor, gets the pills, searches more stuff, meets the doctor, gets the pills. So uh, there's going to be an autopsy. Mm-hmm. Robert dies. There's going to be an autopsy later. And they find Rohypnol, like just... A, a smattering of all these drugs mm-hmm. um, in his stomach. Um, he has five contusions on his skull, oh. which which they're saying are the cause of death. Yeah. So he's been poisoned or drugged and then beaten, and he also has um, these head wounds. So prosecution alleges that she drugged Robert with a strawberry milkshake. No, that's my tie's milkshake because of the mudslides yeah. and the shake. Okay. So and this is this is twisted. So she. Drugs the strawberry milkshake, has her six year old child <gasps> deliver it to him. No. And then he like succumbs to the milkshake. She has the kids leave the house and then she beats him. Oh my God, no. So in the days following, so he dies, and then in the days following that death, no one knows about the death yet. She goes to a doctor's visit with bruises and other injuries that she supposedly um, got during the murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and she claims that she's got kind of dissociative amnesia. She can't remember what happened, why she got these bruises. So that's November 1st. Okay. I think, I, I don't know. I like deleted when the uh, late October is when, when she had killed him. So, uh, she kind of creates this like whole charade about it. So between November 3rd and 6th, she buys new bed sheets to put on the bed. Cause they're all bloodstained. stained. Um, she buys nylon rope, some boxes to pack away things. Um, she rolls his corpse up in a oriental rug and like ties it with the nylon rope. What? So she rolls him up in a rug, ties him up. <clears throat> then she like pulls the bedding off, like any sort of incriminating evidence. Mm-hmm. She like boxes away and then has it moved to, they've got like a storeroom in this apartment complex. So she moves it all there. And then she calls the, uh, management office and she's like, hey, can you move this rug into this storeroom? What? So the rug with the body in it, all of the bo- like all this stuff gets moved into. How thick is this
0: rug? I feel like if I was moving a rug, I would.
1: rugs are fucking heavy as hell. All right. Fuck. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, uh, then she's kind of giving conflicting information to her family. So like. To her dad, she's saying, like, she's kind of saying that Robert, like, because no one knows where Robert is. So she's mm-hmm. like, oh, he's here, he's there. Um, on November 6th, she goes down to the police station with her dad to report that her husband, that Robert had assaulted her mm. on the night of the 6th. So now she's like, I got assaulted a couple days ago. I want to report my husband. She's not reporting him missing. Mm-hmm. She's reporting that he had attacked her. He's already dead by then. Yeah. Um. So then she files that claim. Uh, Robert misses a conference call at work Mm -hmm. and now the colleague that he had confided in that he was kind of concerned about what he had found is like um so then he reports that he hasn't seen him all this other stuff and on November 7th investigators discover the decomposing uh, (gasps) decomposing remains in the storage room and all the evidence all the stuff
0: all the stuff is all there she didn't like. she literally took
1: everything incriminating and (sighs) put it all in one place. Idiot. So they conduct their uh, search of the apartment and of the storage room. They discover four boxes containing bloodstained sto- uh, blood bedding, tissues, pillows, clothing that belonged to Robert, clothing that belonged to Nancy. Fingerprints from Nancy are on the tape used to seal oh the boxes.
0: My God,
1: like guilty.
0: Uh, so I mean, it's great that she didn't catch herself doing that. Yeah.
1: Fuck. So in her, so she, so trial number one. Trial number one. So she's in Hong Kong.
0: These are Americans
1: (gasps) in Hong Kong. So they're not being prosecuted by the U.S. Yeah. This is a murder that happened in Hong Kong. Don't they have like stricter? I think so. Okay. So in her testimony at some point, so at first she says uh, it was self defense. Mm -hmm. He was attacking me and I protected myself. So she gets found guilty in trial number one. Ooh, in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Then she appeals it. And something happened in the trial where they're like, yeah, okay, cool. Let's do it again. And then she's found guilty again. But she changed her position, her defense, between the first and the second trial. Mm -hmm. So the first one she's saying it was self-defense. And in the second one, she's saying, I'm mentally disturbed that he said he was going to divorce me. That uh, all these other reasons, like I'm still, I still shouldn't be in trouble. Yeah. Um, So... In, in one of the trials, she's saying that um, that her husband claimed um, that he was going to divorce her. Mm-hmm. So now she's like fearful that she's going to lose her kids and she's going to kind of lose this life. The prosecution alleges that it wasn't really that she was going to get divorced and she was going to lose these kids. It's that she was the primary beneficiary in Robert's will. And that the estate was estimated at $18 million. Oh. Stocks, cash, real estate, life insurance. Dude's loaded. Yeah. She doesn't want to get cut out of that. Yeah. She's been living a very nice life. So she admits to killing her husband, claiming that she had been in an unhappy marriage and that she was a victim of uh, domestic violence, that he had raped and sodomized her over a five-year period. She was kind of attempting to portray him as like this really aggressive guy. Um, and that she just kind of hit a point and that it was premeditated, but that it was like to put a stop to the abuse is mm-hmm. kind of what she's saying. Okay. Um, there was an incident where like one of their kids had broken an arm and she's saying he had grabbed her and like, she starts telling the story about how he was abusive and it ended up in their kid having a broken bone. Mm-hmm. And then someone else was like, um, I was there and I watched the accident that caused that broken bone so robert definitely didn't like beat his kids like okay. that's a completely made-up story
0: yeah
1: um so there's a lot of questioning in terms of like there's no other signs that robert was abusive in any in okay. any way okay but there's a lot of signs of her having an affair of talking to this guy of wanting to like be with him kill off robert get this money mm-hmm. there's evidence to that got it <clears throat> so records show that she had made seven calls to michael this is the guy that she's having the affair with before and after meeting with the doctor and that they had remained in frequent telephone communication and that, um, they were in contact with each other after the murder as well. Okay. So she has the first trial then she has the second trial. Um, basically she's life in prison. So now she's like uh, the recent articles about her are that she's in Hong Kong and she has a mandatory life sentence, but it's not life without parole. So she keeps like every year, she's like, when's my parole? I want my parole. Yeah. She's been in like, I think 11 years now, she's wow. been in jail um, for murder. Yeah. And she keeps me on like, when do I get, because she had had one hearing and they were like, this isn't, you haven't been here a sufficient amount of time. So she's like, okay, cool. So there is a sufficient amount of time. What's the sufficient amount of time? I'm on it. And they're like, well, that depends on all these other factors, like how you've been, like, there's a bunch of stuff I'm not going to tell you. So Hong Kong's being kind of dodgy about when she'll have an opportunity because they're like you murdered someone and yeah Yeah. there isn't a set stone for that and her lawyers are arguing she's in mental anguish she doesn't know when she's gonna get out it's making her more crazy Mm -hmm. she needs to have you know even children need to have uh so right now it's kind of this feel like the argument they're making is aside from her you need to have it written somewhere that there's some sort of... Like, end date to this en- all. End date to all that. Um, and what Hong Kong is saying is, like, it's so specific to each prisoner. We're yeah. not going to say that. So, say
0: Hong Kong releases her. Does she now come over to the United States and have another trial process? I don't
1: think so. Okay, so it's I don't, not like I don't an know. extradition she might, kinda... like There might be some sort of civil thing with the okay. assurances. I don't know about that. But I think everything went to... So Robert has a brother and a sister and the brother got murdered, but not, it's like unrelated. Like, what? And then this- Like by
0: another spouse kind of situation? Uh, let me or... see if
1: I have notes about it. While I'm looking, I'll tell you. So the sister has custody of the three kids. They live in Seattle. I think they've inherited most, if not all the money. Um, and the, the mother, the wife, uh, they'd asked her like when she'd seen her kids and she's like, you know what? They're living their own lives- they're not involved in any of this. No, I don't talk to my kids. Oh, and they were like young when it happened. Yeah, um, they're so, definitely affected so. I don't know if by... that's like. It's sad that the mother can disconnect that easily, but yeah. then it's also like that's kind of better for the kids. Yeah, just be raised by a loving person who didn't murder your dad. Um. I mean, it could go either. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, in April of 2006, Robert's brother, Andrew, who had been granted temporary custody of the three kids, so there was a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, and an 11-year-old, he was found stabbed to death in the basement of his rented mansion in Greenwich. Oh, my God. Uh, That's in Connecticut. He had been indicted for fraud involving real estate in April 2005. A family chauffeur and the chauffeur's cousin had been arrested and charged with his death, Jesus Christ! Those poor kids. Then the children were placed in the custody Aww. of the sister. Good God, that's crazy. That's so sad for them. Oof,
0: these are some heavy stories, guys. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed the mudslides. We definitely did. They're heavy hitters. Drink responsibly, <laughs> please. Drink responsibly with these. Yes, the milkshakes. Uh, <clears throat> they are adult milkshakes yeah um yeah and we'll see you next week for murder monday yeah
1: thanks for tuning into this week's episode of killer cocktails as always on our talent was jackie andrea uh be sure to check out our instagram at killer cocktails podcast or stop by our website killercocktailspodcast.com for up-to-date information photos contests and more our logo was created by michelle firm whose amazing art can be found at com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlas, and we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> I took a note out of, uh, what's his name? Silly Facebook man. Facebook
0: man? Yeah. Uh, Tom? No, that's MySpace. Uh... What's his fucking what's name? What's his fucking Zuckerberg. name?
1: Zuckerberg. <laughs> Matt, Sam. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm making fun of you, but now I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Tucker- <laughs> what the fuck is his name? Oh my god, this is ridiculous. Zach. No, <laughs> Mark. Mark Zuckerberg. What? That's his name. That's not his name. yes it. One hundred percent is
0: stupid. Mark Zuckerberg. Name. That's his fucking name. Uh, the more you say it, the more. It's... <laughs>
1: Matt Zuckerberg. Oh, wait, it is. <laughs> oh, it's Zach. <laughs> oh my god! All right.